0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays.
1: Isaiah 29 verses 15 to 24, page 713. Woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their work in darkness and think... Who sees us? Who will know? You turn things upside down as if the potter were thought to be like the clay. Shall what is formed say to him, Who formed it? He did not make it me. Can the pot say to, of the potter, He knows nothing? In a very short time, will not Lebanon be turned into a fertile field? And the fertile field seems like a forest. In that day the deaf will hear the words of the scroll and out of the gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind will see. Once more the humble will rejoice in the Lord. The needy will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. The ruthless will vanish. The mockers will disappear and all who have an eye for evil will be cut down. Those who with a word make a man out to be guilty who's ensnare the defendant in court and with false testimony deprive the innocent of justice therefore this is what the Lord who redeemed Abraham says to the house of Jacob no longer will Jacob be ashamed no longer will their faces grow pale when they see something then their children the work of my hands They will keep my name holy. They will acknowledge the holiness of the Holy One of Jacob and will stand in awe of the God of Israel. Those who are wayward in spirit will gain understanding. Those who complain will accept instruction.
0: And the second reading is from Romans chapter 9, verses 1 to 21, page 1135. I speak the truth in Christ I am not lying my conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers those of my own race the people of Israel Theirs is the adoption as sons, theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs and from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ who is God over all, forever praised, amen. It is not as though God's word had failed, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it is not the natural children who are God's children. But it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. For this was how the promise was stated. At the appointed time, I will return and Sarah will have a son. Not only that, but Rebecca's children had one and the same father, our father, Isaac. Yet before the twins were born, or had done anything, good or bad, in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not, therefore, depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy and he hardens whom he wants to harden. But one of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us? For who resists his will? But who are you, O man? to talk back to God shall what is formed say to him who formed it why did you make me like this does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes and some for common use this is the word of the Lord thanks be to God
2: uh, Peter and Ricky, uh, thank you very much indeed. Well, uh, let me add my own welcome to that of Ben's uh, earlier in the service, especially to the Hollingsby and Lively uh, family and friends. It's uh, great to have you here and uh, really nice to have uh, witnessed uh, Florence's baptism this morning. Uh, but welcome to you all. Uh, we're looking through uh, the book of Isaiah or one particular section of it, so I'd encourage you to turn to the first of those two readings uh, that um, Ricky just read for us, uh, page 713, so that you can see uh, where I'm going and why I'm saying what i'm saying in the next few moments isaiah chapter 29 verses 15 to 24 and let me pray for us as we look at the bible together heavenly father we've sung of the lord jesus that he is our prince of peace and we will live our lives for him and so living god come speak to us today that we may do just that for your praise and glory amen what do you find yourself daydreaming about? I'm not thinking about those childhood daydreams that we guys replay in our minds, you know, playing for England in the World Cup and scoring the winner in the dying seconds of the match, or um, as kids hitting a tennis ball against the garage door at home, imagining that you're at Wimbledon uh, on the centre court with an adoring British crowd shouting, come on, Paul. You did do that, didn't you? Oh, neither, neither did I then. No, I'm thinking more about those dreams that we have as adults. You know, when your mind wanders and you find yourself working out how you're going to get the next promotion that's so important to you, or, or you planned a scheme to make you rich, or, or if not rich, better off, comfortable. And when you find yourselves thinking of investments and property deals that would enable you to live in a, a bigger house. or maybe it's not about getting something more at all. Maybe it's about having something taken away. You're so busy all the time, you'd love to have more time and and so you dream of an easier life with less pressure and so you find yourself dreaming of when you might retire early. Sometimes your mind wanders to a dark place. I mean a very dark place. I don't know about the women, but for some men in your mind you find yourself in the arms of another woman. A woman who is not your wife or who is someone else's wife. You're a Christian, but when that thought drops into your head, you don't take it captive, rather you've replayed it, often imagining what it would be like to be married to someone else. What do you find yourself daydreaming about? Well, look, it's those moments when you're alone with your thoughts, when you let your imaginations run away with you. It's in those moments that we have a very clear window into our hearts What we daydream about reveals where our hearts really are. Last week in the first part of Isaiah chapter 29, the Lord asked us to take a very good and honest look into our hearts. Through the prophet Isaiah, the Lord revealed to us the great danger of simply going through the religious motions. He showed us the huge danger of perhaps turning up here at church, but our hearts not just being in it. This week in the second half of Isaiah chapter 29, we see the next step from there. Here we see what happens next. We see when our hearts are not in it, when we're just going through the motions, when the Lord does not have our hearts, our hearts will be won by something or someone else. And that was certainly the case in Isaiah's day for the people of Judah. And so the Lord said to them, Isaiah chapter 29 verse 15, Woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their work in darkness and who think, who sees us? Who will know? The verse begins with the word woe. This is the third in a series of six woes from chapter 28 down to chapter uh, 34. Now, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, you'll, you'll recall the historical situation the nation of Judah, the people of God in Isaiah's day, were fearful of the mighty Assyrian army coming, sweeping down against them. And so Judah was tempted to make an alliance with the Egyptians. We saw that a couple of weeks ago in chapter 31, verse 1, which is where this section is heading. Judah thought, if we team up with Egypt, we'll be able to stand against this Assyrian army. But all the way through the book of Isaiah, repeatedly from chapter seven, the Lord has told his people to trust him and him alone. He had promised them his protection. And so he said to them, stand firm. Do you remember that wonderful verse, chapter seven, verse nine, stand firm. And he promised that if they did stand firm in their faith in him, they wouldn't fall to the Assyrian army or any other army that came bearing down upon them. But Judah wouldn't listen to the word of God through the prophet isaiah and so they turned from the lord not that you've noticed it not from the outside as we saw last week they continued in all their religious practices outwardly they remained as busy as ever with all that religious stuff they were burning many many incense uh, many many sacrifices outwardly then they looked as committed as ever but inwardly in their hearts they were far from god that's what we saw last time in verse 13 These people come near to me with their mouth, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. That's Judah. And so now you see, with their hearts far from God, their hearts had begun to turn to another, to Egypt. And so they plotted. Verse 15, they made plans, They, they put schemes together to work out how to get, if I may put it this way, how to get into bed with Egypt. And they went to great lengths to hide those plans from the Lord verse 15 gives me the impression of a group of Judah's leaders the priests and the prophets in a basement room late at night with the lights down low talking in hushed tones about their plans to make an alliance with egypt and so the lord says verse 15 woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the lord who do their work in darkness and who think who sees us who will know do you see as they they plotted in that basement room they thought no one can see us no one knows which of course is why we plot and scheme as we do in our daydreams because when it comes to our thought life we think who can see us who who knows but of course there is someone who sees the plotting that goes on in the basement room the temple in the seventh century bc and he is the same person who sees what goes on in the deepest corners of our hearts and minds too and so that kind of plotting is utterly foolish the lord sees when our hearts are elsewhere madness to think that he doesn't worse than that it is actually spiritual treason when we think we can hide things from god and when we think we can plot and scheme apart from him we are making ourselves out to be god putting ourselves in the place of god that's what isaiah says in verse 16 you turn things upside down as if the potter were thought to be like the clay Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, he did not make me? Can the pot say of the potter, he knows nothing? God is the potter, the creator of all things. We are lumps of clay who've been formed into something special and useful by the Lord. And more than that, he, the potter, has given us breath, every breath that we, that we breathe. So how utterly foolish for a pot to think that it knows better than the potter. But when we do this kind of plotting and scheming, when we think no one else can see what's going on in my mind, when we think that we can make plans apart from the Lord, plans to, to cut the Lord out of the equation as they were by going down to Egypt, when we do that, we are as deluded as a pot that thinks it made itself and is in complete control of its own destiny. When we are plotting and scheming and planning to do things that are contrary to God's ways, we are in fact, breaking the greatest commandment we are claiming to be god we are acting like the potter the creator so when we won't trust the god who loves us the god who loves us enough to die for us and when we turn from him and dream dreams of another when we hatch plans to find our security and our satisfaction in other things or other people we are being as ungodly as we can possibly be that's what judah was doing they were making plans to make an alliance with egypt rather than trusting the lord to deliver them from the mighty assyrians verse 16 then says there's no question about it their actions were thoroughly sinful but before we we find ourselves self-righteously tutting at them please see how forming an alliance with egypt seemed like a genuinely good option They feared for their lives. They were under the the shadow of death. They were being threatened by this mighty Assyrian army. Today, it would be like a little tin pot nation having all the military might and firepower of the USA or China or Russia manoeuvring into position on their borders. Aircraft carriers and warships, tanks and nuclear submarines, battalion after battalion of troops being strategically positioned to attack them. What were they supposed to do? isaiah said trust the lord to deliver you is that it is that all that isaiah could offer them trust the lord see making a military alliance with egypt a nation larger than judah that had in the past been feared by all nations making an alliance with egypt did seem like a very good option and that's exactly why we look to other things other things that seem to offer us what we need We do live in a scary world. There are many dangers that threaten to engulf us and we too live under the shadow of death. It's always there. And so when God tells us in his word, trust me to deliver you, it seems a bit weak. And if like Judah, our hearts are already far from God and we're just going through the motions with the Lord, then our hearts very easily turn to other things to give us the security that we so need and want. Of course, we live in a world that offers so much, just like Egypt. We live in a world that offers so much and and promises so much. We are being bombarded by powerful suggestions telling us where we will find our security and satisfaction. Every time we turn on the television, we expose ourselves to powerful and evocative television ads. Through the internet, we're exposed to even more advertising today than we ever used to be. And the films we watch and the television programs we love do far more than entertain us. Without us even realising it, they grab our hearts and they teach us stuff. And the things we are being told through advertising and through the things we watch all the time, the things we are being told is that we can find security from something other than the Lord, from a pension plan and health insurance and from success and real estate. Our hearts are being grabbed and told that we can be happy and fulfilled if we've got the latest gadgets and have status in the world and have a partner who has a perfect body. See, as the world comes bearing down upon us and as we feel vulnerable, as we feel our sense of mortality through advertising and entertainment the world beckons us and calls us offering what seems to be a very good option that's why we daydream as we do it's why we dream and scheme about getting that promotion or or getting that money in the bank or, or or the new love of our life because we think these things will give us the deliverance that we so long for But just like Judah turning to Egypt, these things are miserable to be putting our trust in. They can never give us the real protection that we need. They certainly can never deliver us from the great enemy, death. And so there are two things that this Bible passage tells us we need to understand. If we're gonna get a grip of our hearts and have them focus clearly on the Lord where we will be safe. It's what we've been praying for Florence, that as she grows up, she won't be drifting away to these other things but will have the lord as her lord i know that's what tom and anne long for her two things then first know that our hearts are not captured by the world overnight and secondly have your heart captured by a second vision but sorry by a better vision first our hearts are not captured by the world overnight now we see this from understanding the flow and direction and travel of these chapters from chapter 28 down to chapter 34 some time back now someone gave me an insightful article which i think was called steps to an adulterous affair it made the point that rarely do affairs begin totally out of the blue Usually the affair begins in the mind when I find myself dissatisfied with my spouse or or when I find myself attracted to someone else. And then it continues in my mind as I start to think about that other person and I think about ways of spending time with them. And then I start to find ways of spending time with the other person. I go out to the pub after work with a group of colleagues because she'll be there. And after I've done that for a while, I try to manufacture ways of being alone with her i find a reason to stay late at work because i know she'll be in the office and i can so easily justify it uh, telling my spouse that i'm working late because i am and then alone in the office i find ways of getting closer to her not just in conversation but in helping her with her work sitting close to her at the desk as we look at the computer screen together look i don't need to go on to tell you how it progresses you know that stuff but do you see, long before anything physical has happened, there are a whole series of steps that, are, that we begin to take. Very rarely does an adulterous affair begin overnight and come totally out of the blue. And what is true of physical adultery is true of spiritual adultery as well. Uh, sometimes I may meet people who, who've, who've, who used to be Christian, but they've given up the Christian life. Or people who used to be Bible-believing Christians, but they've given up on the Bible as their final authority and they believe all sorts of things that really aren't Christian anymore. And when I come to meet people like that, to me, it can look as if it came out of nowhere. They've just suddenly given it all up. But in this section of Isaiah, we see the steps that someone takes when they move from the Lord and move towards trusting something or somebody else, something or somebody else that eventually grabs our heart. So two weeks ago, we saw how the people of Judah had stopped listening to God's word. We saw this in chapter 28. The word of God was still presented to them. Isaiah was still speaking to them, but they didn't listen to it, not in that they didn't obey it any longer. And then last week, we saw what happens next. We may well stop listening to God's word, but we can still continue to be involved in religious activities, but our hearts are not in it anymore that's what happens when we stop obeying god's word our hearts drift from him and once our hearts not in it not captivated by the lord it's a very short step for our hearts to be plotting and scheming to find ways of turning to other things that seem so attractive that's what we're seeing this week in verse 15 and once that has happened we'll start to walk towards this other thing that has so captivated our hearts that's what we'll see next week in chapter 30 And from there we are well on the way to fully following and trusting this other thing and living apart from the Lord completely and we'll see that in chapter 31. That is the dark and deadly progression that we see from chapters 28 to 32. But here's the thing, it is a progression of steps. So know that our hearts are not captured by the world overnight. You see, we should be able to spot the danger. Have I stopped listening to God's word? Is my heart not really in it? Am I starting to feel the pull of going somewhere else? Am I taking steps to go to that other thing? And if you stopped obeying God's word, or if your heart's not in it when you meet, or if you find yourself often daydreaming about other things other than the Lord for your security and satisfaction and significance, then today get a grip and turn back to the Lord know that our hearts are not captured by the world overnight and secondly verses 17 to 24 in this passage have your heart captured by a better vision you see in verses 17 to 24 the lord tells his people what the future holds and it is a wonderful future for his people in verse 17 judah is given the promise of a flourishing fertile land remember they were under the threat of invasion from the assyrian army they were on the verge of being ejected from their land and and being plunged into a war zone with all the devastation that that would bring upon their land but verse 17 in a very short time the land would be fertile and flourishing like a forest in verse 18 the lord promises a day and a place where people will listen to him through his word In that day, do you see, no longer will people be in the dark and stumbling around with no direction. No, on that day, in this place, everyone will know what life is all about. No longer tempted to look to other things to give them what they want. They're trusting in the Lord. Do you see that in verse 19? They'll be rejoicing in the Lord. This uh, speaks of a place where everyone will be humbly trusting the Lord, not any longer as pots who try to usurp the potter, humbly putting themselves under the Potter, rejoicing in him and gloriously verse 20 in this place all evil will have been done away with every threat in this scary world would have been removed verse 20 the ruthless will vanish the mockers will disappear and all who have an eye for evil will be cut down those who with a word make a man out to be guilty who ensnare the defender in court and with false testimony deprive the innocent of justice they'll all be gone You see, this is one of the many visions in Isaiah of the glorious heavenly new creation. The whole direction of the book of Isaiah is about taking a sinful people from a wayward city, Jerusalem, and cleansing them and recreating them into a godly, clean people, finally to be in the heavenly new Jerusalem where the Lord is known and loved and worshipped. And that will be a place where all evil is eradicated. It's that eternal future that the Lord has for his people. And he lays it out here before his people because it's in having our hearts set on that future that we wrestle our hearts away from the things of this world. In his uh, excellent book, Uh, You Can Change, Tim Chester writes of the sirens from Greek mythology. He writes these words. In Greek mythology, the sirens would sing enchanting songs, drawing sailors irresistibly towards the rocks and certain shipwreck. Odysseus filled his crew's ears with wax and had them tie him to the mast. Orpheus, on the other hand, played such beautiful music on his harp that his sailors ignored the seduction of the siren's song. Tim Chester writes, this is the way of faith. The grace of the gospel sings a far more glorious song than the enticements of sin. If only we have the faith to hear its music. That's what Isaiah does here. God's people are being enticed to go to Egypt. Egypt has a grip of their hearts. And Egypt sings a song that sounds so beautiful and very attractive. And so through Isaiah, the Lord sings a more beautiful song telling of a more wonderful place he gives us a better vision than anything we could set our hearts on in this world anything we look to in this world for security won't be strong enough to withstand all the struggles of life and certainly won't be able to make us stand when we come face to face with death but this future this heavenly new creation in the presence of the lord well that's what we're made for it's where our hearts will be satisfied It's more solid and more certain and more completely immovable than anything else. It has been won for us by the Lord Jesus' death on the cross bringing us forgiveness. And it's guaranteed through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It should be our heart's desire. It makes sense for this to be what we're longing for because it can never be taken from us. And so when we find ourselves daydreaming, when we let our minds wander and our imaginations go wild, in those times we need to take, take captive every thought. We need to d- redirect our thoughts to this vision, a better future, a place of security and satisfaction so that, that we so crave. And as we do that, the Lord will bring about a transformation in us that we probably think impossible. Very briefly, look with me at verses twenty two to twenty four verse 22 therefore this is what the lord who redeemed abraham says to the house of jacob no longer will jacob be ashamed no longer will their faces grow pale when they see among them their children the work of my hands they will keep my name holy they will acknowledge the holiness of the holy one of jacob and will stand in awe of the god of israel those who are wayward in spirit will gain understanding those who complain will accept instruction These last verses speak of an incredible change. This is a promise of a transformation at the deepest level. That's why in verse 22, we read of the Lord who redeemed Abraham. For when Abraham came upon hard times, he went to Egypt, just as Judah were planning to do. But the Lord redeemed Abraham and brought him out of Egypt and kept him and brought his children to the promised land. The promise of rescue and of such remarkable transformation. That's verse 24. Those who were wayward in spirit, those who like Judah are starting to go to Egypt, those who like wayward Christians plot in their daydreams of trusting in something other than the Lord, those who were wayward in spirit, verse 24, gain understanding. And you see that at the end of verse 24? They are willing to accept instruction. Here are people who have turned from God's word, turned from his instruction, and whose hearts have drifted from him, being turned back to listen to him and to fully trust him for the future. That's the kind of transformation God can bring, changing our motives and desires and longings. And as he does that, we will fix our eyes more and more on the new heavenly Jerusalem, so that when our minds wander, we'll now be longing for this new heavenly Jerusalem and being in the presence of the Lord, safe and secure, and rejoicing in him for eternity. Well, turn with me, if you will, in your uh, service order to uh, page four at the top. And we're going to uh, use uh, these words of the confession at the top of page four to acknowledge that we have turned from the Lord, that we have turned from his word, And that we've easily given our hearts to other things. Let's just have a moment of silence to make our own response to God. And then after a moment, I'll lead us as we confess our sins together. A moment of silence then. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Together, Lord, we have not obeyed your word. We have not heeded what is written in the scriptures. We repent with all our heart and humble ourselves before you. In your mercy, forgive us. Grant us your peace and the strength to keep your laws. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord.